to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Good morning, Humanity Church. How are you? Doing well? I'm Marla Neighbor. I'm our Connections Pastor here at Humanity Church. So good to see you guys. Hey, if any of you uh, been to Art Walk? Did you go to Art Walk last night? Anyone? Yeah? It was poppin' last night. I was looking around. If you don't know, in Pomona, we have thousands of people who come right here in downtown, in our space, in our area, uh, every second Saturday. And I was looking around at Art Walk last night. I was like, man, this is amazing that we get to be a part of this city, that humanity gets to play a small part in that. And then this morning I came and I was looking around and I was seeing the faces and just, I know a lot of your stories. I have the benefit of knowing a lot of victories, a lot of grief, a lot of solidarity, a lot of miracles. And I just feel so grateful that we are planted right here in the middle of Pomona and we get to see all of this and be a part of it too. So thank you for being a part of that equation because it filled me up this morning when I was looking around the room seeing all the stories. So let's do this. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to jump in. God, thank you that I am not you and that you do all the work and that you are always on the move, you are alive and well, and you are reaching, and you are kind, and you are merciful, and you are always accessible, always ready, always on the edge of your seat, always eager to meet us. You don't see us often the way we see ourselves. You see us with delight and love and hope and with a future and you are calling us into the invitation to access you and your power, Lord. I don't wanna do it on my own. I know a lot of us don't, and so I just pray that you would take the things that we are trying to control out of the grips of our own hands and that we would hand those over to you today so that we could be lighter, we could be more empowered, and we could access and harness all of the things that you are longing for for a life fulfilled, and for an impact that will ripple out on generations to come as a result of this very conversation today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are at the very end, the tail end here is our last talk in a pretty long few weeks series that we've been doing on the fruit of the spirit, which we'll give some context for that from a Galatians 5 here in a second. Um, but out of all of the different things that we have been talking on, we get to the end of the list and it's, it, it's almost as if uh, it's like when you don't make the meeting and then you find out after the meeting what your job is. And I was told when I walked into the meeting that I was doing the talk on self-control. Yes! 
love it. Thank you, God, for loving me enough to give me the provision to give me the very talk he knew I needed most. So maybe that's the case for you too. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe that's why you're listening because God loves you that much that he provided this very talk on self-control. So let's create some context and go first to Galatians 5. Verse 22, just to give us some insight into where we're starting here. Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, baby. Against such things there is no law. Yay for self-control. I joke, but... I'm going to assert something that I believe that the person in this room or the person within the sound of my voice who has the most self-control, who has mastered this arena, is by far the most powerful person in the room. And I think that because think about that person being the one whose impulses, whose emotions, whose desires are not at a driver's seat of their choices. Anyone match that description in this room? The one who is not held hostage at the whim of their own cravings at any given moment? It's a toss-up for me on any given day if I fit in that category. But we, we might think this conversation about God and self-control go hand-in-hand hand because maybe some of you are more familiar with the image of God who is always wanting to say no are always ready and eager to say no to us. But I'm going to suggest today that God is actually not that God at all. That if you've heard that, you've been lied to, or if you've thought that, that you are, are following a false, maybe a false image of him. Because rather than being like a parent who's on a controlling power trip, who's ready to say no to everything, don't dance, don't have fun, don't do that thing that your friends are all doing, don't get that tattoo, don't, don't be too loud, you know, don't breathe wrong or whatever. He's much more like the parent who has hopes and dreams and delights in his children and has an eager, uh, fun, adventurous spirit ready to partner with his kids and create something new together because God is actually the one who designed you to have those cravings and those deep-seated desires in the first place. Do you think that Jesus didn't enjoy a good lamb chop in his day? I mean, why do we even have taste buds, honestly, <laughs> if, if God didn't appreciate the concept of pleasure. If Jesus didn't appreciate the concept of pleasure, then why did he live for adventure? Why did he love to laugh with his friends? Why was his first miracle helping his buddy out to not be embarrassed, turning water into wine and making a really good, unforgettable party? I mean, God is not uh, a stranger to fun, to pleasure, to living life to the fullest. In fact, in the context of marriage, God is a huge advocate of sex. It's in your Bible. It's in your Bible, all right? I mean, he, he knows that you crave things. He knows that. 
okay? He knows that you crave purpose. He knows that you crave leaving a mark on the world. He knows that you want to be known and to know. He knows that you long for joy and freedom and peace in your life. And he knows those things because he formed you and he designed you and he longs to meet those needs in the deepest way where he is shouting a huge emphatic yes to all of those things because he created you to need him to meet those deepest needs. But so often, rather than chasing after the good stuff, we waste all of our energy on these pseudo versions, this like leftover moldy, you know, food in the fridge, been there for, for two weeks kind of versions of filling those cravings. And we wonder why we feel empty and lost and unsatisfied and hungry for something more, something, something more in life, but we don't know what, and we just keep going back to the same old junk, that hormone-injected spiritual version of what we think is gonna fill us when God is saying, no, I've got all the things you need right here. The opposite of self-control is self-indulgence. According to Webster, self-indulgence is excessive or unrestrained gratification of one's own appetites, desires, or whims. It's when our cravings have mastery over us. I broke free in November of one of those obsessive cravings in my life. It was a big deal for me. Uh, About five years now, I'm finally learning to call it what it is, a food addiction, uh, was the way, it was the way I was relating to food. And I tell you, this thing had me, it had me. I mean, I spent a good majority of my energy, my thought life, my emotions wrapped up and this idea of food and what it would take to avoid it, what I wasn't supposed to do, what I shouldn't eat, and out of sheer grit and willpower was just willing myself to not do the things I knew I wasn't supposed to do, and we all kind of know how that goes. Yes, anyone, any uh, any January 1st, New Year's people in that category? And I, I lived in a fantasy for a long time that that didn't have an impact. That one little choice here and there, and let's be honest, like more frequently than not, really had that big of an impact on the people around me or on myself. And, but then I started to notice reality. And then I started to wake up out of the fantasy and into the reality that it was impacting our budget, It was impacting my husband's health journey. It was impacting the way our kids related to food. It was impacting uh, how I saw myself and who I thought I was and what energy I had left over after fighting all of the nose off uh, for the rest of the people and the community around me. It was all consuming. And then I remember in November, November 5th, 
I had a breakthrough because God got a hold of me and he showed me that I thought I was addicted to food, but what I was really craving was actually meaning and purpose. And some of you think that you're craving one thing, but you're actually craving a whole different thing. You think that you need the scraps, but God is saying, I have got something so much better for you that is going to satisfy a longing and a need deep inside you that you will no longer feel like you are at the whim of your compulsions anymore because you will be lacking nothing. Some of you think that you are craving alcohol, but you are really craving freedom. Some of you think that you are craving the perfect companion, whether out there, mysteriously in the unknown, or laying in the bed next to you, but what you're actually craving is intimacy. Some of you think that you are craving comfort and an easier life, but what you are actually craving is significance. And when you find the answer, the source to that deeper craving, you will stop settling for the, for the scraps. I was gonna say craps, but that too. It's all crap, it's all crap. I mean, God, God, was, not, he, God was not taking pleasure in being a killjoy every time I got convicted over a double-double in an outburger, okay? He was calling me out of using all of my power and my energy and saying no to the scraps, and he was calling me in to saying yes to the most life-abundant, uh, God-given opportunities that were in front of me that I was missing. So, fun question for you. What self indulgent craving has mastery over you today? Is it your spending? Is it your temper? Maybe food, like myself, alcohol, porn. I'll leave that one there for a second. Maybe it's something that doesn't seem quite so obvious. Maybe it's something like your need to control your sarcasm with people you love. Maybe you love a little gossip. Maybe you're one of those. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's drugs. But how about your thought life? Does your thought life have mastery over you rather than you having mastery over it? Your controls, your, of your controlling your fear or living in worry? Anyone got one of those in their family or you are one where you're just like love to worry? If you don't have something to worry about, don't worry. You'll find something to worry about. Or maybe some of you need self-control over needing to control everything and everyone. <laughs> I have some harsh news for you, for your ears right now, that you don't have what it takes in and of yourself to break out of that. It's tough words, but part of you probably already knows it. The part of you that feels despair every time you see it coming again, the part of you that feels like the history uh, that's behind you is more uh, proof than the possibility of what's in front of you. 
So in the scriptures, we're going to go to Romans 7. Uh, Paul, who also wrote Galatians, that verse we started with, uh, he, he wrote about this battle between self-control and self-indulgence. And he was one of the most iconic followers of Christ, wrote 13 books in the Bible. I mean, he, he's the real deal. And even he struggled with this. It's very encouraging. So Romans 7, starting in verse 14, let's hear about this struggle in Paul's words. I'm going to read it from a version called The Message because it just makes sense to me. In verse 14, I can't anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes. I'm full of myself. It's true. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For I know the law, but I still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I do not have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is right there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight because parts of me covertly rebel and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? I mean, the areas where you are still choosing fantasy that you can will yourself to do better, to work harder, to uh, control those compulsive thoughts on your own power or sheer grit or daily affirmations. Like none of these are bad things, but they have a limit. They have a cap. They last only so long. Or maybe you just simply ignore them or tell yourself it's not a big deal or you just pretend that la, 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 I'm not making an impact on anyone around me. And then you'll just find that that despair is right around the corner, ready to creep right up again because where fantasy lives, despair will always live with it. It's a harsh reality to face initially until you realize that this is actually the most freeing, joy-filled news you could ever be told that this is not on you to figure out because Paul answers his own question with a truth that he ended up living by and even dying for. He believed it so much. Verse 25, right after we left off, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can 
and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Thank God that Jesus Christ can and does. Self-control is accessing the power of Christ and then harnessing that God-given power towards the greatest good. That is what self-control is. Your fight for self-control is not a fight to work harder or to get your stuff together. It's a fight to surrender to the one who has already won the fight for you. But to be clear, just so I'm clear, this is not about giving up all control to God. This is not like a a Jesus take the wheel and I'll pray my way through this struggle and it'll be easy and I'll never have to do anything hard again. It's not that, okay? Because God is inviting you to partner with him and to know him so that your yes to him will shape and inform all of the choices that you then make thereafter. By choosing him, you choose to access his power and his authority over things that you never had authority over to begin with. And then and only then, all your decisions begin to be shaped and formed and informed by the voice of Christ as you get to know him, as you become like him. Hope lives there. Cravings are satisfied there. And it was around this time, about 2,000 years ago, Nathan said it, it's Palm Sunday, one week from Easter. And it was at this time that Jesus began making some choices that would lead to the greatest event in history that would actually give us a viable answer to this question that we're in, to this question that Paul was asking. And one week before Jesus' death and resurrection, six days to be exact, uh, on Palm Sunday, the prior, prior week, uh, Jesus was traveling through on the way to Jerusalem through the region that he had just raised his buddy Lazarus from the dead. Remember that story? So word spreads when somebody gets raised from the dead. So there was a lot of people who were gathered along the path, along his journey. They were just lining up as he walked. And as Nathan mentioned earlier, they were laying down branches. They were taking the clothes off their back. They were grabbing anything they could so that they could lay it in front of his donkey's feet out of sheer honor and reverence over him. And then those same exact people who were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, are the same people who would be yelling, crucify him, only a few days later. Jesus knew that. John 12, let's set the scene for this journey that Jesus was taking on Palm Sunday. John 12, starting in verse 12. The next day, the crowd that had come for the festival had heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus had found a donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, 
seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. It was only after Jesus was glorified later did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees, which were the religious elite at that time, said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So Jesus is making his way through these adoring crowds, knowing in his heart, connecting with every eyes, every pair of eyes he locks with, like every person he passes, knowing that many of these very same people would turn on him just a few days later. Jesus knew, he knew when he was walking into Jerusalem, when he chose that, he knew he was walking to his brutal death. And this Palm Sunday marked the week of what I would call one of the greatest acts of self-control in all of history. Think about this, because Jesus did not want to die. He did not want to die. And throughout these next several days, he was scared, he was horrified. He was betrayed deeply by one of his best friends that he had done life with, that he loved. He was fearful in some ways about the unknowns, like what's gonna happen, God? What's this gonna look like? What's this gonna be like? And he controlled his emotions and said yes anyway. He had to control his response to those adoring crowds that he knew would turn against him later. He had to control his intentionality to stay close and intimate with his disciples who would also abandon him in his biggest time of need. He had to even control his schedule in the middle of it all. Hey, can you make sure that we have what we need in the upper room so we can have that last supper? I mean, he had to control all of these things, knowing what was coming. He had to control his body physically, the endurance that it would take for him to be beaten and lashed and then walk two and a half miles with, whew, with a hundred pound cross that was on his back uphill and then fall three times and choose, choose to get back up because he knew what his yes was. He had to control his tongue when he was on trial in front of the religious elites and in front of Pontius Pilate and Herod. He had to control his thought life, what thoughts he chose to act on and what thoughts he chose to say were a lie and walk away from. He had to control all of those things because he knew what he was saying yes to. Jesus, Jesus did not desire to die, but through his connection to his father, to God, he, he accessed a power 
through him, through his intimacy, through, if you know, the John 17 prayer of God, let them be one with you. He had that kind of connection with God that gave him the power to then harness his choices towards the yes that he was living for. And before his disciples even knew what was about to go down in a couple of days, Jesus gave his followers in in that moment and us now this very clear path for how we can access that same power. Same chapter, John 12 and verse 25. This is Jesus. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Follow me, he said. Man, I hate it when things are too simple. Follow me. He said, are you attempting to be your own answer to your life's cravings? You're gonna lose your life. Are you going to surrender your smaller Version that you are holding so tight to these scraps or are you going to open your hands and be willing to accept the bigger yes that I am calling you into because my Father will honor the one who serves me. Self-control, it's not about white-knuckling your way through your thoughts and your struggles. Self-control is surrendering to Jesus and accessing a power that allows you to harness your life's choices for the greatest good. Say yes to him and he will elevate all of those other yeses. One yes to him and he will elevate an infinite number of yeses to you because he is emphatically shouting yes to you finding life. That is the God that we serve. He wants to say yes to you, but he wants to call you into the things that are not gonna leave you empty and disappointed and unsatisfied. What and who you say yes to in life will determine how you choose to then control your life in alignment with that decision. When you link arms with Jesus, You will harness your power to serve and you will harness your desires so that you can love. You will harness your feelings so that you can reach the world. You know how I know that? Because when you grow close to Jesus, you begin to care about the things he cares about and God cares about those things. And when you commit your life to Jesus, you will get a taste of something that is so good that everything else will be tasteless. It will even be repulsive to you because you have tasted of this glorious banquet that Jesus has set at his table. But you have to get to know God to be able to crave the things of God. When you hang around someone long enough, they'll rub off on you, either way. But what does God crave? It'd be good to know because if you wanna trust him and what his desires are for you, it'd be nice to know what his desires are. 
So verse 27, this is Jesus's yes, going into his death. This is what drives him. This is his motivator. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world, the enemy will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people, all people to myself. Jesus is yes to draw all people to himself. Save me from this? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour at this time. This is why he said yes. The relationship with the very ones that he formed from the start. It wasn't about Jesus having to say yes, it was about Jesus getting to say yes to you. It wasn't because he had no other choice or he was forced or that was the expectation of dad. It wasn't any of those things, it was you. It was you from the beginning and it is you now. All along, it was his yes to you that he said no to an infinite number of other options that he could have chosen. Here's the thing though, are you with me? No one can choose for you. No one else will lead your life. You are the only one, not even God, God is a gentleman, he will not force you. He will give you the option to choose the greatest yes so that he can hold up an infinite number of other yeses for you that will satisfy your life and spill out onto those around you. Those kind of cravings that get satisfied, that is where we find this fruit of the spirit. It's one fruit, comes in a package, ready to go, all signed, sealed, delivered. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, it all comes along with this yes, this one yes to Jesus that will expand your life dramatically. And that yes will ripple out and will impact because no choice you make is neutral. No choice you make is neutral. When you say yes to him, all of the other yeses that get elevated will impact people around you for generations as a result of your decision to say yes to him. But no one else can do it for you. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes for a moment. If, if that satisfied life is the one you crave, the one that says yes to the one who will hold up all the other greatest yeses in your life. So every craving that you've ever had, every desire and need 
that is not going away, every attempt that you have made on your own sheer willpower that has gone nowhere, he's ready to take that out of your hands and make it his problem. If that is the satisfied life that you crave, I invite you to courageously as an act of declaration to raise your hand high if this is the first time or the first time in a long time that you are saying yes to Jesus today. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, that's so awesome. You can pray this prayer with me if you raised your hand or if you said in your heart yes to Jesus. God, I cannot do this on my own. I need your power. I need your authority. I need your transformation in my life because I can't work myself out of my own problem. I need you to take it on and make me new and thank you for your forgiveness, your merciful, kind forgiveness, that you accept me as I am, and that you take on my sin when you chose to get on that cross over 2,000 years ago, that you chose me when you did that, and that you opened up, opened up the greatest possibility of life when you were resurrected and invited me into that relationship. Thank you, God, that I have that option. Thank you that Jesus Christ can and did and will always continue to. Thank you for your saving grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.